I'm going to take a little bit of a different tactic with this message tonight. Uh, you've often, I'm sure, heard this message preached about when it comes to money and finances. We've talked about stewardship a lot, and this is one of those passages that one of the pastors that I used to serve when I was a youth pastor, he said, we could just camp out for here a while. And we could camp out here in this passage right here so much. But what I really want to try and endeavor to do this evening is to look at what life was meant for. Because I, as I sat and I pondered and I prayed over this passage um, and was making notes, getting ready for this, I thought, we've talked so much about money how Jesus said we should use our money, the warnings that Jesus gave us about money. There's a lot. Jesus talks a lot about money. And I, and I know you guys know that, that are here with us. And if you are watching online and you don't, then go to our website. There's several messages and series that I've actually done on stewardship there that you could learn more about. But when I got to looking at this, this one thought sees me. What is life for? I mean, what is life all about? Do you remember a song that Dionne Warwick used to sing, What's It All About, Alfie? Remember that? And I think this passage, some of you are going, you really dated yourself right there. You know, this passage, I think, really addresses that. So let's look at Mark chapter 10 and verse 17 tonight. Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, and a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good, but to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, and you must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions, give your money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. And at this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Now, we know from the other two Gospels, Matthew and Luke, we know that this, young, that this, this man was young. We know that he was a ruler as well. So there's a lot of th more that we know about him from the other two witnesses about this particular story. Now, if you were like me and you took evangelism courses in the 70s, or if you've taken Contagious Christian here at Woodland Church, you know the last thing we do when we talk to a lost person is talk to them about money. You know, if you went to Evangelism Explosion, you wanted to have at least 10 conversations before you ever brought up money. And the disciples must have been looking at Jesus going, no, no, no. I mean, this guy is young. He's got his whole life ahead of him. He's rich. He could probably fund our ministry just with his tithes, Lord. He's a ruler. He's got influence in the community. But because Jesus loves him, Jesus goes to the very heart of the matter and even though I really respect what I learned in Evangelism Explosion, I respect what I've learned in every other evangelism course I've taken, I really respect Jesus more. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he talked to this man. So a couple of things I want to see tonight. Number one is I am saved only because of God's grace. I am saved only because of God's grace. 
I think you and I would have liked this young man. The Bible says he came and he knelt down in front of Jesus. And he called him good, good teacher. Rabbi, you're good. I know you're good. And in the course of the conversation, he basically tells Jesus that he's a good man. He's done all of these things that Jesus is going to tell him to do. And you notice that they're all about relationships with people and not about God. And Jesus really drills down on him because he lets him see that when it comes to goodness, it's not the goodness of people that's the measure. I mean, I'm looking at you tonight. You're all good people. I'm delighted to be able to say that you're part of this congregation, that I'm your pastor. When people ask me about you, you know, I, I like talking about you. I had the opportunity this week in the parking lot of a, of a restaurant to talk to someone outside of our church about a member of our church. And I said to them, they're really a good person. And the reason I was able to say that is because I've done life with them. But I said, the best thing about them is they are a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. Because God is the measure of goodness. It's not good people. Only God, in Mark chapter 10 and verse 18, Jesus says, only God is truly good. Now, some people try to use this particular passage, and I won't dwell on this a lot tonight, and say, well, Jesus didn't call himself God there. Well, what Jesus is doing is taking the young man's attention and turning it to God. He wants him to see God in his goodness because the man doesn't recognize that Jesus is God in the flesh. I'm saved, you're saved, not because we're good, but because of God's grace. Look at Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 9. Matter of fact, those of you that are here with me, and if you're watching at home or just read it with me, it's on the screen. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Let me just ask a question in here, and I'm really excited to see. How many of you have done something good for somebody today? Can I see your hand? Good. Almost everybody. Okay, everybody in the room. Almost everybody. You've done something good. I knew I was going to ask this question, so I made sure I did a couple of good things today. So maybe I cheated. But the point of the matter is, we want to do good every day of our lives, but we're not saved because of the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about how good we are because my goodness pales in comparison to God. I'm not saved because I've been good. I'm not saved because of what I've been given. And that's important to know. I'm not saved because I've been good, and I'm not saved because of what I've given. You see, when it comes to goodness, if we're not careful, Satan will blind us to the enormity of our sin because we're good. This young man knelt in front of God in the flesh, in front of Jesus, good teacher, and when Jesus asked him about these different commandments, I mean, you know he's young when he says, I've kept all of these. He obviously hasn't heard the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, you know, if you even lust in your heart, if you hate your brother, because what's in your heart is just as important to God as what you do. So when I think about the good things I've done and compared to the things that are in my heart, I realize how much I need the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. And if I'm not careful, my goodness will blind me to the awesomeness of what Jesus did for me at the cross. Somebody here one time asked me, he says, you're really 
fa fascinated and captivated by the cross, aren't you? And I go, yeah. They go, you point to it almost every Sunday. I said, I don't idolize the cross. But the cross is the center of everything you and I believe and we preach and we teach. It's what Paul said that he boasted in. If he was going to boast anything, it was going to be boasting about the cross of Christ. And if we ever lose sight of the awesomeness that God gave his life for your sins and my sins, the world's sins, upon the cross and shed his blood, then we're blinded to the enormity of our sin. And that's why the cross is so important, and it's one of the reasons we take communion every week. But why am I saved? I'm saved because of what God has given. Not because of what I've done, not because of what I've given, because of what God has given. John chapter 3 and verse 16, for this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Let's read that. I know you know it, but let's read it from the New Living Translation together. For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. It was one of the most important things that Becky and I wanted our children to know. It was one of the reasons that we decided we wanted, Becky decided, and I agreed that she wanted to stay home when we had children and when they started school to homeschool our children to be sure in those formative years that they had the opportunity to, for their minds to be shaped not only by the gospel but by good Christian curriculum to shape their thoughts and shape their thinking. And I can remember their devotion sometimes around the table, the breakfast table would be so deep and so profound and I realized those, like we talked about last week, how quickly those little minds were learning and grasping and growing. Those truths have not left their hearts. And they know that they know, and I want the kids here to know, we're saved because of God's grace. Number two, Jesus' invitation to follow him, that's what life was meant for. I mean, to follow Christ you will never know fulfillment. You will never know purpose. You will never know what it's all about. Alfie will never understand what it's all about unless Alfie becomes a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. I sent a prayer and a scripture to a young pastor this morning and that I talked with and prayed with last night and um, was sharing with me some challenges that he was facing and so I sent him a prayer and a scripture this morning about how knowledge comes from the Lord and how persuasive words, learning to speak persuasively and kindly, it helps people to, to gain and to listen to the knowledge and the wisdom, not flattery, but learning how to speak wisely and kindly. Because our goal, as I told him, is we want to make passionate followers of Christ. And so you can be a doctor or a mechanic. You can be a banker or you can be a butcher. You can be a teacher or you can be a police officer, whatever it is. As long as you follow Christ with all of your heart, then you're going to know what life was all about. Becky's fascinated with the sculptor and artist Michelangelo. And I remember once on one of our trips, we were looking at some drawings that he had made on a wall. And they had put plexiglass over it. And, and I remember standing there after she looked at them and she was going around looking at the sculptures. 
And I was more moved by those crude drawings of what he was going to sculpt by putting it on the wall than I was by those magnificent sculptures he had made because I stood there going, that's his handwriting. That's his touch. His hand drug right across this, and then with his chisel and his hammers, he was able to bring out of the stone, but this is what his hand touched. And realizing that what I saw in the museum was a result of what his hand touched. And I stood there praying, God, I want your hands touch upon my life. Because what will come as a result of that is because this is what life is for. But back to Michelangelo. When he went to be mentored and tutored as a sculpture, his mentor looked at him and says, do you not understand that being a sculptor will cost you everything you have? Michelangelo said, yeah. He said, do you not understand the hours and the labor that it will take to be a sculptor if you want me to mentor and to teach you? And Michelangelo said, yeah, or yes. And then finally he says, do you understand that being a sculptor will cost you your whole life? And this was Michelangelo's response. Isn't that what life is for. And when you and I understand that our lives were meant to live for Jesus, yes, there was an idol in that man's life. It was his money. But this is what Jesus was trying to draw him to because Jesus never told Zacchaeus he had to give up everything. Matthew was never told, and he was a tax collector, that he had to give up everything. Jesus telling this young man to give up uh, or to sell everything he had doesn't mean that you and I have to be willing to give away all of our money. It just means that for this particular man, that was the idol in his life. His life was lived for money. What he was looking for is what a lot of people are looking for. He was looking for eternal fire assurance. He didn't want to go to hell. And so he was just looking, what one more thing must I do to be saved? You and I don't do anything to be saved. It's what God has done for us. Look at 1 John chapter 2 and verse 24 with me tonight. Remain faithful to what you've been taught from the beginning. If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and the Father, and this fellowship we enjoy, the eternal life He has promised us. We have eternal life right now. We can enjoy serving Christ right now. We are created for the Lord. A number of years ago, I was preaching a series here on sex and money and things of that nature. And two of our ladies were talking. Kroger was the farmer jack then. This will tell you how far back this was. Kroger was the farmer jack then. So two of our ladies were talking in the aisle about the Sunday sermon because it had been on sex and money. And this man on the other side heard them talking, so they must have been talking loud. He came around the corner and says, where do you ladies go to church? If they're talking about sex and money, I want to be there. You know, here's the deal. God gave Adam and Eve sex. And God gave Adam and Eve the world. And when God gave them sex and when God gave them the world, God gave them money because when he gave them the world, that was power. That was the resources the world would create. That's what you and I do with the cash that we have. We consume or invest to create resources or to consume resources. What Jesus is doing is he's looking at my heart. And if my heart is ruled by sex or if my heart is ruled by money, 
if my heart is ruled by anything other than Jesus Christ, Jesus is going to challenge my life right there. So he looks at my heart for what's ruling my heart, and then he's going to challenge my heart. Now, here's the deal. There are times where Jesus still comes and challenges my heart. Because things creep in unawares, attitudes creep in unaware. I was listening to somebody this morning, and I, I um, was chuckling because I, I went to, to a meeting to today, and someone was talking about, they said, you know, a word came to my mouth that I just knew I shouldn't say. And I don't know if it was a bad word, or I don't know if it was a critical word, but it was a word he knew he shouldn't say. But he said, it was on my tongue. What does the Bible tell us? That out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I thought to myself right then, for me, that's a check on I need to come to the Lord and say, Father, I need the fire of the Holy Spirit to purge my heart. I need to repent. Jesus will always challenge your life. Looking, look at Mark 10, 21. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions. Give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. So could I make this maybe a little more applicable to us in this room tonight and to those of you watching online? If your idol is money, then these questions will help you as well. What's slowly killing your soul? What's slowly draining your life? I mean, what's going on inside of you that you know you're not as vibrant, you're not as fervent in your faith or your prayers, you're not as excited about Jesus as you once were? What, what is it that's slowly killing your soul? The second thing is, if you're like me, I need more and better love. Now, let me explain that. I need more of the love of Jesus, and I need to love the way Jesus loved. I need more and better love. The old hymn says, more of Jesus I would know. Tell me more. Tell me more about Jesus. I, I want to love more like Jesus loved. Remember, if God is the measure and if Christ is God in the flesh revealed to us, do I love the marginalized? Do I love the poor? Do I love the rich? Do I love the lame, the sick, the children? Look at all of the things we've already looked at. Do I love these different people groups? Am I willing to even love my enemies as we will see further along in the book of Mark? The Bible says that love is the more excellent way. I've told you before, across my goals, I have that scripture written, let everything be done in love. Because if I don't do it in love, it's going to go up and like wood, hay, and stubble in a fire. So this is what Jesus is getting at here. You say, well, Pastor, I'm really, I really think you need to hit that thing on money again. I think I can hit it like this. If I am not sacrificially giving to follow Jesus, if I'm not sacrificially giving up my time, if I'm not sacrificially giving of my finances, if I'm not sacrificially giving of my, my spiritual gifts. You see, the tithe is the minimum that God calls us to with our money. My time, am I 
giving to God? Am I learning to use my time wisely for the glory of God? And that time is, is work as well as ministry. I mean, you have to work, but how do we serve God on our jobs? Your job, look at me for just a second. Your job is your ministry. Your job is important. Whether you're making a widget or selling a widget or teaching and molding a mind, whatever you do, providing a service, your job is a ministry and to do that well for the Lord, doing all things unto the Lord. That's so hugely important. And to do it on time and to do it even better than you said you would do it always. So if I'm not sacrificially giving, if I'm not feeling the cost of it, I love that scripture that David said, I will not give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. So let me see if I can illustrate it more like this. And I want to dig down. Some of my great missionary heroes, and they are great missionary heroes, they left their families. They left their wives. They packed a coffin on the boat to go and serve the Lord overseas. Because God called them to reach a people group. God never called me to do that. God never called. It wasn't my call. But I struggled with that as a young minister. Look at God. Would I be willing? I struggled because there was one place in the world I knew I didn't want to go. And I'm happy to say I've still never been. You know, I didn't want to go. But I... there. There was this big globe map at the Lakeland Mall where I went to school in Lakeland, Florida at Southeastern University. And I got two of my prayer buddies to go with me, and we climbed in my Maverick Grabber. Remember those? We climbed in my Maverick Grabber, and we drove over to the Lakeland Mall. And we stood on this world map, and, and I said, I want you to pray with me because there is one place in the world I shudder. I was willing to go to Africa. I was willing to go wherever God, but I did not want to go to China. And so we stood right in the middle of China, and I said, Lord, if you ever, this is where you want me to serve, I'll be willing to go. And there was something that broke that day as I was praying with my friends. I've never felt guilty or burdened about it again, but the Lord knew my heart. You see, sometimes we try to measure our sacrifice by somebody else's sacrifice. As far as I know, there's only been one CT stud in the world. But there have been others that they have packed their coffins and taken their wife and their children with them, and they buried their families overseas in doing missions. One of my closest friends lost his family doing missions. Becky and I were willing to go with our children, and we, we seriously considered and, and but we finally, as we prayed through and sought counsel, and we were so blessed to have very influential people in our lives to help us with this. But what has happened, and this is so important, once you come to that place, nothing between my soul and the soul, and I hope you're listening tonight, because this is the key to being a passionate follower of Christ. Because a lot of people want to be like the rich young ruler. They want to give a tithe, go to church or go to synagogue, treat people right, and they feel like they're doing God a favor and they're doing the church and the synagogue a favor. And Jesus wants to put his finger on all of that tonight and say to you and me, nothing 
between my soul and the Savior. Not of this world. Nothing. Not money, not fame, not family, not even ministry as it comes to my case. Career or vocation. Nothing between my soul and the Savior. So here's the best way I know to do it. The young man, imagine this. I mean, this, to do what the teenager did, this, this blows my mind. He looked at Jesus, and he had to see the love in Jesus' eyes. The Bible says Jesus felt genuine love for him. Something emoted from Jesus. Jesus felt. I challenge you, there's not a lot of times you're going to find that in Scripture. Jesus felt genuine love from him, and that young man turned away from the loving eyes of Jesus and went away sorrowful because he loved his money more than he loved God. What's keeping you from seeing the beauty, the joy, and the thrill of following Jesus? What's keeping you from the beauty, the joy, and the thrill of being a passionate follower of Christ? You see, following Jesus takes a miracle. I'll be honest with you. To be a passionate follower of Christ, you can't will it. You can't work it up in sanctified willpower. There are certain things I can do with sanctified willpower. I used to tell myself as a runner when I would get tired on mile 12, you can do one more mile. You can, I mean, you just had to put your mind over you. You can do and at the end of 13 miles, you can do one more mile. There's, that's sanctified willpower. You want to know what sanctified willpower was for me the other day? A lady in our church bought me the most wonderful key lime pie. I ate one slice. I ate two slices. And there was a third slice sitting there going, Dennis, 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 take me. That was sanctified. You said, well, you had two slices. Oh, you just don't know. I could have consumed that whole pie in one sitting. It's like putting banana pudding in front of me, Okay. So sometimes you just have to, you, there are things you can accomplish by willpower, but to follow Jesus, that takes a miracle. Look at this. <clears throat> at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad, for he had many possessions. And Jesus looked around and says to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed the disciples. But Jesus said again, dear children. It's the first time Jesus has called the disciples children, just may want to underline that and make a note of that. Dear children, it's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Look at me. When this was said, you got some, you've got a book at home that says there was a gate in the walls of Jerusalem called the needle's eye. That wall did not exist. That wall, the word here is literally the eye of a sewing needle. You would have had the nose of a camel. If you pulled him through the eye of a needle, I don't mean to be gross, but this is what Jesus said. You would have had the nose of a camel and a mile long of guts and hooves and tails and whatever else if you pulled it, could successfully pull it through there. Jesus is saying it's impossible. It's impossible for a good man. It's impossible for a rich man. It's impossible for a poor man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, the disciples were astounded because then who in the world can be saved? Because they thought if you were prosperous and you were a ruler, then God obviously liked you a lot. 
Do you think God likes people that are wealthier than you are, better than you? Do you think God likes people that have positions of, of influence or political power? Do you think he likes? No. He doesn't like them better than you. And Jesus looked at them intently, and you know this verse. Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Look at me tonight. I hate it when somebody says, being born again is not a miracle. They are revealing just how foolish they are. I had another word on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> but the Holy Ghost and Becky are here tonight. <laughs> They're revealing how foolish they really are. It's impossible for me, a sinner, saved by grace to get to heaven unless God is the one that does the saving through the blood of Jesus Christ. Can we give him a hand of praise? I mean, that's exciting to me. It's a miracle. So I would ask myself a couple of questions as, as well. Do I care about the poor? And then you could add to that, do I care about other things? Look at all the things that God cares about, the marginalized, the environment. God cares about the environment. Just go through the Bible and make a list of things that God cares about. Do I care? But the measure of my generosity will always be the cross. If the measure of my goodness is God, then the measure of my generosity is the cross. Look at me. Because God gave everything, just like he asked this rich young ruler to give everything. He asked this rich young ruler to give to the poor. And Jesus saves those who are poor in spirit and know they need what Christ did for us at Calvary. Isn't that cool? Well, let me give you the growth for it. Peter began to speak up, and he said, we've given up everything to follow you. Don't you just love it when somebody says that? They want to tell you how all they've given up. Matter of fact, I believe it's Matthew. I think I'm, posit I'm almost positive. It's Matthew where Peter says, what are we going to get out of it? I mean, that's what he's getting at here. We've given up everything to follow you. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who's given up houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and property along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem to be the least important now will be the greatest then. So what's the growth work? Number one, recognize I'm blessed in this life. You are blessed in this life. If you live in America, you are blessed, period. Even if you don't live for Jesus, you are blessed, period. The Bible says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Alexander McLaren, who has fed my soul with his sermon so many times, this present world yields its full riches only to the man who surrenders all to Jesus. Would you read that with me? It's in your outline. This present world yields its full riches only to the man who surrenders all to Jesus. Read it one more time. This present world yields its full riches only to the man who surrenders all to Jesus. Do you get that? God who gave you the world, God who gave you sex, God who gave you new life, God will give you the riches of this world once there's nothing between you and your soul and the Savior. Once you give your all to Him. Number two, I'm going to be blessed in eternity. I talked with one of our former children's pastors 
and listened for about an hour as she grieved this week because a dear friend of ours of this church, Sally, had passed away. And as I listened to him grieve and talk about Sally being in heaven, and I thought about all the friends and family that we have in heaven, man, I'm not getting a busload to go tonight, but heaven gets so exciting to me the more I think about it. Remember, the Lord will give you, I'm looking at Colossians 3.24, the Lord will give you an inheritance as a reward, and the master you are serving is Christ. There is an inheritance laid up for you. There is an inheritance. We told my mother recently, she was talking about what she wanted to leave, and we said, Mama, don't worry about what you're going to leave for us. We want you to live and enjoy life. And Mama got this look on her face that she used to get when I was little, and she goes, I'm going to do, and I went, yes, ma'am, whatever, you know. But God has an inheritance for you and for me. Third thing I'd ask, who or what controls my life? Who or what? Is there an area of your life that's being controlled that needs to be bought under to surrender to Christ? If you would tonight, look at this quote that I took from David Brooks from the New York Times. At some point in the past decade, the suburbs went quietly berserk. As if under the influence of some bizarre form of radiation, everything got huge. The cars got huge. So heads don't even spin when a mountainous hummer comes rolling down the street. Have you ever got stuck between one of these great big SUVs and you can't see around it and you're backing out into the drive? I'm not criticizing that. I'm just saying you can't see around it, you know? And, and you just, I just go to myself, how are they affording the gas for that thing? And then they stuck a 60-foot trailer behind it. And I'm not criticizing. I'm just going, everything is just like, being maximized. Then the houses got huge. The drinks of 7-Eleven got huge, as did the fry containers at McDonald's. The stores turned into massive, sprawling, category-killer megaboxes with their own climatic zones. Suburbia is no longer the land of ticky-tacky boxes on a hillside where everything looks the same. It's the land of the gargantoids. And you know, it's America. We, we believe in that. And yet, I think we have to ask ourselves, are we being controlled by a desire to consume more and have bigger and have better? Which brings me to this question I go through. What's the one thing that Jesus would challenge in my life? And in just a moment, we're going to have a Q&A. What's the one thing that Jesus would challenge in your life? What distractions or distortions do I need to separate from to have the margin open in my life to experience Jesus' love better? And then finally, what do I need to sell, subtract, or simplify to follow Jesus to experience his love better? You may go through this list tonight and not be convicted by the Holy Spirit of anything. But as I personally kind of went through this. There were things I felt like the Lord was just putting his finger on my life and saying, Dennis, this is an area that you need to get back under control. Now, can I be honest? Because a part of me was the rich young ruler. Because I consider myself a very self-disciplined, self-starter individual. I don't need anybody to crank me up. And yet, as I sat here thinking about these things, say, Lord, 
put your finger on my life because I want to know you, I want to follow you, I want to see you, I want to hear you both in this life and the one to come. So I think this story is about much more than money. I think it's about what Michelangelo said. That's what life is for, to be a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you. Father, I love you so much. Thank you for everything you have done for us and what you have given to us. And I ask you tonight that, Lord, you would bless my friends. You would bless those online, God, that are listening. And, Lord, you would help us to go through these thoughts on our notes tonight and just seriously get before you so that we can experience the joy and the thrill of what it means to be a passionate follower of Christ, which in Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Hey, if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, you can get these notes from woodland.church. Just click on woodland.church. There's a, a button there for messages. Click on Wednesday night. You'll see a whole section for the Gospel of Mark for all of these messages. And you can get these questions and you can go over them in your devotions this week. I'd spend the week with them, kind of like what I've done. I love you. God bless you. Good night.